pleased to hear military industrial suplex a new chapter a new chapter with a friend john morehouse 365 wrestling a new chapter of military industrial suplex john morehouse how are you doing i'm good man how are you and uh thanks for hitching your digital wagon to my digital wagon i guess for this podcast element of what i'm doing over in my little corner of the internet okay so a couple years ago, I decided I wanted to start after years of watching wrestling and being involved in it on sort of an independent level in the back behind the scenes roles. I decided I wanted to start a website where I could share my thoughts, my writing. I am a writer by trade. I'm a professional writer. So I wanted that to happen. So I found the domain, all of that. The website is called inmorehousewrestling.com. A little play off my name. And right now, the, the centerpiece of what's on that site is what I call the 365 Wrestling Project. And the goal is to watch and review 365 matches in 2022 and have each of those matches be from a different date on the calendar. So 365 Wrestling, day one of the project was a match from January 1st. Day two is a match from January 2nd and so on and so forth. I try to jump around as much as I can. I've described it as sort of the pro wrestling equivalent of Quantum Leap, if you remember that old science fiction show. And so trying to hit different wrestlers every day, different promotions, different years, jump around to different eras. And I'm also trying to all have it all be stuff that I've not seen. Like I've watched a lot of wrestling, but you know, we all have gaps in our fandom. There's, there's lots of things, good stuff out there that I've not seen. Random deep track, deep dive type stuff that I just want to call more attention to. And so that's what I've been doing and devoting a uh, rather large chunk of my free time to this year. That's very awesome. John, let's get right into it. For those who may yes. ask, before we do, what have I been doing? Nothing. Where am I? I'm nowhere. I'm here. John, you're with me. Quantum Leap. I guess I'll be Al here. You're Al. And you're or you're the computer. I forget I, the computer's I, yeah, name, but I'll, I think you're better be Al. Okay. I, oh, I wanted to be the computer. Ziggy. But okay. Ziggy, that was its name. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll be Al. So, Sam, let's go back to not too long ago. Not too long ago. John, let's start off. At number five, this is Omega. The tag team titles are on the line. It's the Hardy Boys versus the Serial Thrillers. The Serial Thrillers, Mike Maverick, and a very familiar name, Shane Helms. This happened in North Carolina, 1999, January 29th, 1999. John, you are there. Walk us through it, man. Take us through I mean, I wasn't there. I watched it on YouTube. But this is a, a <laughs> his, it's a historical rarity because I think it's the only match that there's footage of where you see the Hardys, Matt and Jeff, as a tag team and as heels. And they're not just the heels by like designation. They are very, very disliked by this crowd. There's a packed like high school gymnasium full of fans. Uh, the challengers, Shane and Mike, they went to the high school apparently. So they're like the hometown heroes. It's also the last match for the Hardys in Omega, which is the promotion they helped found before they went to the WWF full time in 99. They'd already been appearing on like Sunday Night Heat and that sort of thing. But this was really their last match before making that jump completely. And it's just a really good tag match. It, it plays off the standard tropes of tag wrestling by some twists and tweaks, which I like and I appreciate. 
and I'm a, I'm a big fan of tag wrestling. So yeah, it's definitely a match to seek out and it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. And if you go to the website, uh, in morehousewrestling.com and you go to the article on this for day 29, I've got it embedded. Uh, the video is in two parts and it's embedded in the article so you can watch it. And then you can read my thoughts about it as you can with as many entries as I can. Anything that's on like YouTube, Daily Motion, any of those sites, I'm embedding the video where I can. Things that are subscription based, where it be WWE Network, IWTV, I'm trying to get as direct a link to it as I can so people can check it out. And that's awesome. So they can watch and follow along. The Omega Tag, I really loved it. The energy in it. Jeff Hardy, amazing, fast. Everyone in that match was over. As you mentioned, Hardy's suck. When have we heard that? Jeff Hardy as a heel, amazing. Matt Hardy as a heel, amazing. Never really seen a Hardy Boys heel run. Maybe we will in 2022. Things have been crazier, but let's go to number four. Yes. Before we do, I just want to mention we do have coming up, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Thomas Simpson. Thomas Simpson. Part of Omega, we have an interview with him. He is our guest today on the Military Industrial Suplex. Number four, John, 365 Wrestling, IWTV. You mentioned IWTV. Dylan Hales, a former guest on this show. Cindy Love, That Direction. IWTV, world title. Alex Shelley, coming in as the champion versus AC Mack. This is action. Southern East first. One, 21, 22. Yep. Southeast first was something that they had put together, sort of a long time project that got a bunch of different promotions in the Southeast to collaborate and send talent and send matches. And I don't have to tell you, sometimes it's very difficult to get different promotions to get along and get behind the same goal, but it happened here. Dylan is actually the lead commentator on this match and does a good job. He's a, he's a very good... He, he finds this knack when he's on commentary of being able to advance the story while keeping up with what's going on in the ring without making it too much play-by-play, -play, but also covering up when there's a mistake. And that's just a tightrope that's very difficult to walk from my personal experience doing commentary. The match itself, if you've ever seen any of those old matches from back in the day with uh, Ric Flair as the traveling NWA champion or Harley Race as the traveling NWA champion, and they're brought into town to face the local hero, that's basically what happens here, except you have Alex Shelley playing that uh, traveling champion role. We talked about partisan crowds with the Omega tag, and when AC Mack comes out for this match, just everybody in that building is so completely behind him and, and, and trying to fuel him and drive him to win the title. There's a lot of good work that goes on with uh, Alex Shelley focusing on the arm of AC Mack, trying to counter uh, his Mack 10 finisher. And it's just a really good, really well-worked match. And I like that it kind of harkened back to those old traveling champion matches from the territorial days. AC Mack, an amazing talent, a guy who's really put in the work to make a name for himself. A talent wherever he goes. He always stands out. He makes an impression. I got to see him live on WrestleMania weekend not too long ago. Very entertaining. Very fun. I love what they're doing down there in action. And I hope to see them in action one day. Number three. The Rockers versus the Orient Express. This is the WWF 1991 Royal Rumble. Did I do that right? 
is uh, it's pretty good. Or, it's or good job. Instrument man, yeah. So one nineteen ninety one, John Morehouse. So this match is the opener of the 91 Rumble. It's the Rockers against, I guess you would call them the New Orient Express. You've got Pat Tanaka and you've got, they call him Kato, but it's Paul Diamond under the hood. Tanaka and Diamond, you know, they if you ever watch the old AWA bag company, uh, that was them. Or one of the, the teams, top teams for AWA in the late 80s and had worked against the Rockers before the Rockers left AWA to join the WWF. So these guys are all familiar with each other. It's a good match. What the thing about this match is, it's such an atypical match for the WWF, especially during this era. You don't see a lot of big moves matches. You don't see a lot of really fast pace that sustains. And these four guys go out there and they just go all out, pedal to the metal from the opening bell to the finish and hit, you know, there's a bunch of crazy double teams. You got the Rockers doing dives. The crowd loves it. Gorilla Monsoon and Roddy Piper on commentary. They're digging it. It's a great placement because you've got this, I mean, spot fest, for lack of a better term, to kick off the show. I loved it. It's a great match. I don't know how I missed it growing up because I would always try to watch the Rumble. You know, we'd, we'd order the pay-per-view back in the day and watch it, you know, live as it happens. And somehow I missed this match because I know that if I watched it live, I wouldn't forget it because it, it is an unforgettable tag match. It's great. It was a fun match. I loved it, but I loved even more. Number two, this was a really fun one to watch again. I haven't seen this in years. I'm so happy I got to watch it last night. One of the best matches in WWE history. When you talk about the top 100 matches in WWE history, this match is on the list. John Cena, Umaga. Cena comes in as champion. Omaga's the challenger. Omaga has been on a tear. Last man standing. WWE Royal Rumble 2007. 128.07. Yep. So this was the day 28 entry. And uh, I always loved, as just an aside, because William Regal was a semi-regular authority figure during this time. And he would call Umaga Umanga. And I always, that always got me. And he would just pronounce it as Umanga. Anyway. Umaga and Cena, and this is Umaga in like his peak. This is where I think he peaked with them, even though he goes on and he wrestles lastly at WrestleMania with Man and that other fellow in the corners. This was sort of the end of his like unbeatable aura. He lost once in like the nine months prior to this to Cena, and it was on a roll up. So kind of a fluky loss. And I love the whole man against the monster vibe of this. Because Umaga, you know, he takes some, he gets steps thrown at him. He gets a monitor smashed up against his head. He had this great moment where there's three tables, because this is back when ECW was a thing on sci-fi. So there's three of those commentary tables at ringside. And Umaga puts Cena on the, like, the raw table. He puts it on one of the tables and heads to the far one and gets a running start, leaps off the middle table to do the splash and just Cena moves and, Umaga is so big and the table just explodes under him. And it's the first time in the match that you really wonder, like, is he going to make the count? Like, he really teases it. It's like nine and three quarters before he finally gets up to his feet. The finish is great. Cena bleeds. It's like the first, the last really, I think, well-executed use of blood and, and like noteworthy use of blood for them until they go full PG later in the year for obvious reasons. It's a great match. It's, it's sort of, to me, also, and I don't say this in the write-up, maybe I should have, 
it's like a nice final chapter in that ruthless aggression time of wrestling, which I think is kind of a polarizing period with a lot of people. But it also produced some some really, really good stuff and really, really good matches like this one. John, the second match was absolutely amazing. But before we get to the main event, before we talk about number one, we have someone here on the military industrial suplex 365. One of the one of the individuals who is part of the I guess I would call them the brain trust of Omega. He was there. He was in the building for the Hardy Boys versus Serial Thrillers match, which is one of the top matches in January that I watched as part of this 365 wrestling project. And Thomas has been kind enough to come on this debut episode of the podcast part of the project just to talk about that match that night. And Thomas, once again, thanks for, and I'm really excited to kind of get an insider look at this match and this night, which I've seen you call it on social media. This was like the peak moment of Omega for you, or one of the peak moments. Well, this was the last match where, the last match on the last show where all of us were together Mm -hmm. in 1999. There was no, everybody was not to get together again until like maybe 2014, 15. Or so when Shane Helms was running the Omega shows. But yeah, it mm-hmm. was the Omega of Omega. I mean, it was the really the end of the Camelot years, the glory years, but that was only a year and a half. I mean, from the first show to the last show was from July of 97 to that was in January of 99. So, I mean, that was the entire lifespan of the original Omega. And so... And that was one of our biggest shows. There was one that Shane had run earlier in 98, in May of 98, at, at there at East Wake High School in Wendell, where he grew up, that actually was had a bigger crowd. But he was, again, off the charts. So. And I watched the match this morning, too, for the first time in about 10 years, and it is amazing. I mean, it's, it's an incredible match. It holds up beautifully today. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And it's such a rare, we've seen Matt, of course, as a heel individually. We've seen Jeff a couple times as a heel individually. I don't know of another match where there's footage of the Hardys teaming together as heels and really hated heels in this case, too. Like this crowd cannot stand them. And I don't think there ever was one. I think we had like an impromptu match at that first East Wake show in May of 98 that I was referencing. I think Matt and Jeff did like a little teaser thing with Shane and Mike and they got some, they were the heels, but it wasn't, it didn't last very long. It was not a major thing. But when we came back, Matt came out and they did, they came out at the beginning of the show and cut a promo about East Wake, about Shane and Mike. And I mean, and the crowd was, they, they were hot by that point. And so, it was an amazing thing to see. And I'd never seen them both as heels at one time. And I remember Matt getting on the microphone and the microphone had issues. And he was like uh, jumping on me about it and stuff. Get this thing changed and stuff. And I was like running around trying to change the mic and stuff. It's something to behold. So the Hardys, if they wanted to be back then, if they wanted to be heels and get heat, as a team, they they certainly could. Now, today, I don't know if they could pull that off because they've become icons since 1999. <laughs> and not only that, and it's like I wrote in the piece, at this point, they have been, you know, major influences on multiple generations as far as wrestling lifespans go. Yes. 
Yeah, it'd be very difficult for them to be healed. I, I agree with that. What role did you have at this event? I know you, you did various things in Omega, but what specific I was role running, did you have? Well, I was making sure everything came off. I mean, I coordinated with the announcer. I coordinated, ran Gorilla. I ran, you know, I counted the money at the end of the night. Of what Everything that a promoter does. I mean, I was the... Shane and Mike did the legwork on getting the show together and everything, but from I got the ring to the building, I got coordinated to get the uh, advertising done. I mean, I I was the promoter. I did the everything in the building. I did, and we set up the. I remember set the, that that afternoon we set up the ring, and me and my buddy uh, Mike Teague, who wrestled us on the show as Will Powers. We got in the ring, and I always like to get in the ring and wrestle back then, right? I like to do it, you know, just a little shooting and, and having fun with people. And Mike and I were wrestling, and everybody was, and the guys were just around the ring and stuff, and they said, and they were getting bored with our match. And I made the comment, well, and, I, and Champagne, Marty Garner was one of the people that said something. I said, yeah, Marty, it was just like, yeah, y'all are not saying anything just like you and Jason's match back at uh, North Durham High back in December. Well, buddy, when they heard that, everybody jumped to the ring and jumped me and Mike. And so they held me up in like a camel clutch. Marty did. And Jason ran off. And this is v- Joey Abs, right? The Joey Abs. Yeah. And Jason, and he, he ran and gave me a boot to the head. Well, when I got back to South Carolina the next morning, my mom was like, son, why do you have a boot mark on your head? I said, well, Jason, they, they they took some exception to my to a comment I made, and so they they took it out. Jason took it out on me. <laughs> but I mean, I did what I did at every show. I mean, I didn't have to play commissioner or owner or whatever. I did that a couple of times when we needed it, like with the NWA 2000 stuff in uh, early '98. But I usually was. John, you've been to my shows, and you know what I... So what you saw me do when you've been to my shows is exactly what I did that night. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. I've worked on a couple of those shows. Nothing different. I mean, it was... You're running a a wrestling show. I don't have time to do anything else. Thomas, one other thing that stuck out to me watching this match is just how fluid and smooth... Not that he's not smooth now, but Jeff Hardy... You know, the Jeff Hardy now is still a good wrestler. The Jeff Hardy here in 1999 just athletically is on a completely different level just because he's not had all those injuries and huge bumps and all that that have accumulated. Like there's a sequence where he hits a swanton and then goes into a cabrata and he just makes it all look so effortless, so Mm -hmm. smooth. And it just shows how good he not that he's not good now, but how good he was in his prime. Oh, he was a big you know, as far as like taking bumps and doing that kind of stuff, you would be hard pressed to find anybody better than him that's ever come out of this country. You know, there's probably some people in Japan, Mexico, you could argue about, but flying white boys, no. I, <laughs> I mean, he was he was amazing, and he really was amazing. Of course, you know the the injuries and the miles and the bumps on his bump card added up. He still does some things sometimes. He usually tries to take it pretty easy. Like I, I remember going to events, house shows over the last few years when uh, at WWE, and there were times where he would do a different finish or something like that. He would do a swanton if I was in the house. And, th- and there's a way to land the swanton where you 
potato someone or where you take it easy on them. And depending on who it was, he would take it easy on the guy. I saw him really pancake the, you know, really potato the Miz one time with one. And then of all people, Samoa Joe, he took it really easy on. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm doing one against Joe, too, at a, at a house show up this way a couple years ago. It was like a really quick match. It was like Joe called him out, got in right. the ring, immediate twist fate swan time. But it was a very, it wasn't one where he just flat out landed on him. I've, I've seen that. I saw one of those matches, and then I saw a longer one that they did. But yeah, just watching that old Jeff Hardy was just amazing. And maybe she, it, he should have done so much of that on the indies. And then, of course, the ladder bumps. Let's just face it. I mean, he's yeah, incredible. You know, this may not be, you may not be the person to ask about this, but Omega, you know, the Hardys, Helms, Shannon Moore, I think, worked for them uh, for a little while, too, and yep. just their influence. But we've not seen, like, there's not a wealth of Omega footage that is out there. This one I kind of found on YouTube sort of in dumb luck. At some point, do you think we're going to see, like, Omega on one of these streaming services? or that Matt and I together own all of it. Have access to all of it. It has been converted to digital and upgraded. It will happen probably since this is our 25th year this year. As a matter of fact, I've got to talk about it in the next few weeks. So, yes, that is something you will see everything. I don't want to say everything because there's some of it that uh, there's some matches that nobody really wants to see. If it's not the famous people, if it's not like the Hardys. Shane, Shannon, the Joy Ave stuff. People want to see the Champagne stuff, a Carino stuff, Joy Matthews, Joy Mercury, Christian York, all those kind of things. I mean, there's some stuff that we will probably just put out there for the heck of it, but it's in the plans. We have it, and it just needs to be. And we've kind of been real particular about getting it out there. And I've got, we've actually got multiple people that have done, and we've got a, a friend of ours, Tim Noel, that lives up in Richmond. He filmed a lot of the stuff, and we are just got access to that, too. So there's a lot of things in play, and I think that what we really want to do is get some of the, I mean, there's no access to, I mean, Shane works for WWE now, but everyone mm-hmm. else is pretty much open. So I would say, like, the Serial Thrillers match, you'd probably see a, a nice digital version with Matt and Jeff talking about it. I would say that if you need anybody to lay down commentary on these, I know a guy. But I think in the case of this match that we're talking about, that I watched for 365 Wrestling, I don't think it needs commentary because I think you would miss just the energy and the heat of the crowd yeah, on, yeah. on this match. And plus, and Ted Hobgood, he did a lot of the commentary and stuff back then. We used to do commentary over the loudspeaker, right? Which is... Oh. Which, I mean, this was before everyone was doing it. Now, I, right. I liked his because there were so many different and new and neat things that he could explain. But now people don't get it that they, he would never like say if somebody was cheating, Ted would not stooge off the cheating like people do now for some reason. I I hate it on commentary. I I hate the over the loudspeaker commentary now, but it was good back then because he was good at it. But everyone now, ugh, no, it is terrible. But yeah, I, I see your point because the heat there is off the charts. Heat. I can like see us energy. doing versions. I can see us doing two versions, right? One with the commentary track and one without. I would actually prefer, and I say this as a commentator, I'd prefer the version just we're hearing the crowd and then another version with like Matt 
and Jeff and Shane, like director's commentary. Yes, exactly. That's what I would want. Thomas, very fascinating. I do have a question. You mentioned the do's and don'ts of announcing over the PA. Can you talk about that a little more? I just want to know some of the tropes that you see currently on the indies. You mentioned one. And just go over the golden rules, if you will, the do's and don'ts of announcing over the PA system during a live that, pro wrestling event. And I'd never seen it. I started going to wrestling shows in 1978, but I started promoting in 93. And then we never did that kind of thing until I started working at Omega. And Matt had, uh, Ted Hobgood, who uh, did it at Omega, was, he had done it at when they had run the New Frontier Wrestling Alliance, the New Frontier shows before there's a predecessor to Omega. I mean, I saw just a watch to a match from a kid a few weeks ago on the commentary. At, well, the guy was doing the commentary over the PA. So the heel is putting a chain around his or some kind of gimmick around his fist. And the guy calls it. The announcer calls it. It's like, no, you don't do that. You know, and then the referee looks like an idiot for not hearing that, right? Because, I mean, what, it wasn't like the crowd was all was so loud that you couldn't hear the commentary. But I, I, why? And again, now, I mean, everybody knows the name. Because Ted would talk about the moves and he would name moves for people and things like that and get things over. But you don't need that now. It was interesting 25 years ago. But even in the later stages of Omega, he stopped that. Like that show, the the show there from uh, with the Thrillers Artie's match. He's not on the PA doing commentary. So and we didn't do it at, at shows, say, outside of Sanford or Southern Pines. When we went there, we didn't do the announcing over the PA. So it was just, but I don't know why people do it now. It doesn't make sense. And especially to stooge off a heel cheating. It doesn't, I mean, it, it's just, no. It's, it's just like, I, I don't like people doing the, the problem now is there's most of the people promoting wrestling have only seen wrestling since like the late 90s. And it's like you start the show with it's like a TV show. You start the show with somebody coming out and cutting a promo and then all this stuff. No, I, I hate that. I absolutely despise. And I tell guys, keep your filthy hands off my microphone unless I tell you you can have my microphone. And, I, and I'm really particular about who I have on my microphone. It's just, again, I hear people complain about watching wrestling on TV. Oh, it's only, all it is is talking. Well, if I've got somebody paying to come see my wrestling show, I want to see wrestling. I don't want to see people talking. Exactly. And that brings me to two other points. Uh, just to close out uh, what you're saying, as far as the announcing is concerned, do you feel it's more... Or rather, it's better to act as an MC versus a commentator if you are doing wrestling commentary over a PA system. Yes, I don't, but why would you even do commentary over a PA system? <laughs> well, if you have yeah. to, or that's the promotion's aesthetic. I agree. But yes. Well, the promotion, if that's the case, then the promotion don't know shit from Shinola. I mean, because to they. Me, to me, any promotion that does the live over the house mic commentary now. That's a bread flag. Oh, yes. It's an outlaw mud show. I mean, it is. I, I totally agree. And I, I liked my one person who did it 25 years ago. I would love to have my one person and say, and John, say if I had you and Ted doing commentary 
on a show for like video. Yes, I would like that. But over the loud speakers, over the PA system, hell no. No, absolutely not. I'm not going to. No, <laughs> not today. It's not, it's, it just makes no why? Why? It's an ego. Nowadays, it's just an ego thing. People, everybody wants to be a part of the show. Or it's, again, or it's that you don't have the proper equipment to do it as you should. And they just don't like, they well, don't have like all the headsets. As they should, then they probably don't, shouldn't be running the wrestling show to begin with. Nope. But that's enough. I mean, that's just, just me being hypercritical. But I mean, there's most of the people running wrestling shows today should not be running wrestling shows. Well, let me ask you a question about the people that are running wrestling shows. You mentioned that in the last 20 years or so, it's essentially been the same aesthetic from the top down as far as presentation. You mentioned earlier, starting the show off with the promo. When you're looking to do shows, when you want to do shows, and you're seeing multiple promotions, essentially following the WWE formula and stylization, Mm -hmm. lingo, presentation and obviously the budget dictates how well they scale towards wwe uh looking feeling sounding like wwe what do you do to try and go against the grain to make sure that in this landscape of just so many promotions that the things that you touch the things that you do even back in the day what do you do to stand out what do you do to bring that uniqueness to your promotion I love this question, by the way, Tom. This is just like the great, that's wonderful. I'll tell you, when I first saw wrestling in 1978 at the Greenwood Civic Center in Greenwood, South Carolina, all they had were a ring. There was a light over the ring, which I hate nowadays, just the one light over the ring. To me, that's just, some people like it. I have never found it to be pleasing to me. But and then there was like a just a, some po- some metal posts with a string around the ring to keep the fans away because South Carolina has that law you got to be six feet back. But what I do now is so you start the show, you have a match, you don't have any light show thing, no smoke. I have no problem with guys just coming out from a door. Or some people like to have a curtain up or something and like some little trellis thing. I mean, I know some people that just go crazy with all this production. And a friend of mine was always, and I'll just say, for instance, a friend of mine from one of the promotions here in the Carolinas was all caught up on that. He thought it was the greatest thing. Oh, but people want to see this. People want to see that. And finally, after a few years, he's realized, well, people don't care anything about that. They want to see wrestlers having wrestling matches and that's what i do i'm not going to spend my time and money on putting up some frou-frou as my great my great aunt would, would call it that makes it look nice and frou-frou to what i want to spend the money and time on getting good looking wrestlers panty droppers if you will to come and wrestle on my show because they Time in wrestling means money, and I would rather spend the time on the better promoting, the better wrestlers, and I just want to come and be a simple, nice show. Yeah, if a guy wants to cut a promo before his match or something, it depends on, on who it is and how well they can talk. 
but a baby face, you should know a baby face when they come out and you should know a heel when they come out. And that's the problem with a lot of people. They don't know how to be either one. So I try to book people who my heels are going to get booed. My baby faces are going to get cheered. And they don't have to get on the microphone at all to do it. But I like very simple, just like what I used to see from Jim Crockett Promotions back in the day and Georgia Championship Wrestling back in the day, because that is what I, I grew up on. And the wrestling's probably in the ring is technically a whole lot better now. But the mystique and the classiness and the heat are not there. And I, I will also say, just to interject, having been to shows that Thomas has booked and promoted, the crowds that come to his shows do not look like, I would say, the typical independent wrestling crowd. You see more kids. You see more. Thomas, you've called it yourself. Like. Your kids and grandma's philosophy of booking. (laughs) Fat women and kids, man. That's my my way of career on. Yeah. That's what I want to draw. I want to draw families. I want to draw women. I mean, do you think, go look at those Hardy Boys. The East Wake thing's one thing. There's a lot of kids in, in the crowd and stuff. But if you go look at the old Southern Pines and Sanford tapes, you see a lot of women, a lot of kids. And that's what I've lived by. And I've got some friends that are now starting to do wrestling shows. And they're like, well, you told me to do this. And man, I drew 180 people out in the sticks last week. Thank you for telling me how to promote. So I want people to see something where they're going to have fun. And they want to see superheroes and and supervillains. And again, women want to see panty droppers and kids want to see people that look like uh, superheroes or cartoon characters. I mean, again, it's they don't want to see the fat man from that they see at Walmart uh, stocking shelves. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I don't want to see the fat man stocking shelves wrestling. Oh, yeah, of course. You want to see larger than life. You want to be dragged out of your comfort zone, out of reality. My final question to you, Thomas, I ask all of my guests this question. It sounds as though the answer is yes, but I wanted to understand and I want the listeners to understand what level. I want people to understand what it means to you, to me, to John, to a million of us around the world. My question to you, is it still real? Is pro wrestling still real to you? Yes, absolutely. It is even though I've been so into the whole business and the inner workings and especially like this social media age, I mean, I know Matt's going to talk more on his podcast that he's doing about some of the manipulation he did on social media uh, before there was social media, but like internet manipulation, you can manipulate the, the internet wrestling people, the easiest people to manipulate. But I think that people, when they go to a wrestling show, at least my fans down here in the South, I've managed on shows and worked on shows in the Northeast and got insane heat because they'd never seen anything like me before, right? And no one liked me before. But I think people go to wrestling to be entertained. And I think people, especially live wrestling, they want to go and think it's real and want to feel it's real. And I feel, I can tell you, being at that, the big time show the other week, watching and seeing the Rock and Roll Express and, and FTR, seeing Matt, seeing Brock Anderson, Lodi, I mean, you could just feel 
how much people appreciate. I think people appreciate wrestling more now than they ever have. But I think it is as real a thing to me than it's ever been. And I, and I, I still love it. I still love, I still love watching it. I mean, I can be salty about some things. And there's great wrestling still out there. And oh, yeah, but like Maryland Championship Wrestling, uh, there's just I've known Dan actually, but people, uh, here's a little fun tidbit the uh, Omega Light Heavyweight Championship was actually the Maryland Championship Wrestling Light Heavyweight Championship belt that we use that Joey uh, Matthews had. But there's still so much good, just good, solid wrestling out there. So, yeah, I think wrestling is still as real. I know some people talk about there's like a that things are all hunky-dory. I don't, uh, as far as with the indie wrestling, I don't believe that at all. There's some places that are doing very well, some places that aren't. But pro wrestling, listen, as long as there are still little kids to watch wrestling, there's still parents to bring them. And there are still hot men for the women to drool over. Wrestling will still be able to put butts in seats. And that's what makes it the most real to me. And that's awesome. And I hope your love continues. I hope your love continues. And I think that wrestling will allow it to do so. Thomas, I want to let you go. But before we let you go, I want you to tell us any projects you have coming up. I want you to plug whatever you would like to plug. Well, let's see. Coming up, things I've had my fingers in. Well, the first appearance of Jeff Hardy outside of WWE will be on March the 10th for Signed by Superstars. My old friend, Rob Feinstein, I helped line that up for him. So Jeff will be there signing live. Then I know for big time, he and Matt are going to be wrestling that weekend up in i think there's one show in like massachusetts and uh one in maybe new york that weekend then they're gonna be down here in south carolina on the 19th then the 26th they'll be at the icons of wrestling convention in philadelphia which i may be at i'm supposed to be there just depends on how motivated i feel to go like we had mentioned earlier i think this year we'll see finally the omega treasury of videos come out in some form and we're not sure how who we want to entrust with that because i mean i I think there'd be a lot of projects we've done before where we didn't monetize we did not get the money we're owed on it but uh so we're going to be very very particular about that wrestling show wise i'm going to some shows i will say I, i had a lot of things i wanted to get done in 2021, I was looking, okay, 2022, 25th anniversary of Omega, I'm going to do shows. Between I just got, a few weeks ago, I had COVID. And I've had five bypasses and and stuff. So, I mean, I've I've had really rough health over the last four years or so. So, I didn't get everything I wanted to get done last year in my personal life and professional life. So, I'm going to wait till 2023 for my 30th anniversary to kick back in. I hope to like be running, uh, telling people we're going to be running a couple of shows a month. And uh, plus, I, my, mine and John's mutual friend, Jeff Conley, has been injured most of 2021. And I kind of don't like running shows without Jeff. So, when Jeff comes, is ready to come back good i will be uh so i think next year i'll probably do some wrestling shows i don't know if they'll be omega or thomas simpson wrestling or what so 
where if if you say maybe the Hardys, if you see the Hardys somewhere around this area, I'll uh, probably be there. I'm, I'm doing going to some shows, uh, just going to see friends and stuff. But not. I am working. I am actually going to wrestle again in three weeks for Gouge and wrestling my old friend Count Grog up in Raleigh. I'm going to be in a battle royal. The first time I've wrestled since 2017. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. So uh, I've got I've got lots of things going on, but n- not promoting anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, I, I don't know what your role is going to be for that battle royal, but just an idea. If you're going to be a heel and have a feeling you may be a heel, you should argue that it's impossible for you to be eliminated because both feet have to hit the floor. Oh, that's a good one. I've still got half a left foot, John. But it's just half. You say half, so you should say that you should just automatically win. Gonna be the blue. I'm gonna be under the mask as the Blue Inferno. So oh, the Blue Inferno make make his uh, return. It's in a brewery though, so T Dog HG might come hopping back out. But so I might actually go, I might do it twice. It just depends. I guess some good yeah, heat though. I'm not trying to make light of your medical issues, but I thought that that would I just light. I thought that would amuse you. I, I make light of my foot. Are you kidding you me? I make I make. Everybody makes light of my foot. You ought to heard the Hardys talking about my foot. They want to take me down to Columbia and do like the stem cell thing and see if they can grow a new one. So, I mean, everybody make I make fun of my foot. It's, it's funny. It wasn't funny when it was happening, but it's funny now. Well, based on uh, the but, brainstorming session that happened on this podcast, I'm really <laughs> looking forward now to your next match to see which sort of shenanigans will happen. The Kofi Kingston of this rumble <laughs> coming up. <laughs> I wish Jeff a speedy recovery. Thomas, thank you for coming. Thank you thank for joining you. us. Yes. This has been Thanks awesome. A lot. We learned a lot. Omega, Thomas Simpson. John, a phenomenal, phenomenal interview with Thomas Simpson. Thomas Simpson from Omega. I've learned so much. He's such an educator and I can't wait to see his match. And I hope everyone Checks out Omega. Check out Thomas Simpson. And check out the upcoming Rumble that he's going to be in. But, John, it's time for the main event. If I can That's just. Time. Yeah, if I can just steal a little something from Mark Henry, just steal the gimmick for a bit. Yeah. Number one on this list 365 Wrestling IWGP IC title. It's Nakamura. It's Abushi. It's New Japan Pro Wrestling. Wrestle Kingdom 9. This is from January 4th, 2015. An amazing match. Two top guys. Nakamura in his prime. John, tell us about it. So, actually, my second attempt at completing this whole 365 project. I tried it in 2021, and a combination of COVID work, various issues, just I couldn't keep up. I said, I'll try it again this year. So the entry for day four, I actually subbed in this match from an entry on the previous list. And I'm very glad I did, because this is a all-time great wrestling match. And one reason it's so good, Tom, I don't know how much of like the current New Japan that you watch, or at least what I would describe as New Japan from about the, like the Tanahashi era is champion forward. To me, that style of wrestling is typified by long main events, long matches, long title matches, 
if you see Okada in a main event in a singles match on a New Japan show these days, you can expect the match to go at least 30 minutes. That's just kind of the style that they have. It's a style that they've established. It's kind of what everybody expects. This match is more in about the 20-minute range, bell to bell, and it's like one of those big New Japan epics, but they've taken all the padding out. They've taken all the filler out. It's it's all killer, no filler, if you will. And it's not more in his element. He is certainly a lot nastier with his strikes than anything he's done since he's come to WWE. Ibushi, at this point, is sort of on the rise. He recently graduating or moving up from the juniors division to the heavyweight. And this is definitely, I feel like, the most prominent match he's had since that move. It's just, there's a lot to like here. They beat the crap out of each other. Ibushi starts mimicking some of Nakamura's like mannerisms and moves, which just throws Nakamura into a rage. It's fantastic. I'm not one usually, if I watch a match for the first time, and I think it's good. Sometimes I'll go back, like, okay, I'm going to watch it again before I really try to, to rank it or rate it or see how good it really is. But this is one where, on that first viewing, it's just amazing. There's no doubt to me how good this match is. Oh, absolutely not. Anyone who hasn't seen it, I recommend that you do. Those who have, they are what we're talking about. John Morehouse, 365. I keep mentioning it. Because this is what you and I will do for the rest of the year. I'm mm-hmm. your Al. You're my Sam. And like Paul Simon said, Aww. you can call me Al. With that said, the Military Industrial Suplex. 365 Wrestling with John Morehouse. The new co-host. John, before we head out on this maiden voyage, this pilot episode, the pilot within an already established show. Uh, by established, we'll put that in quotation marks. John, is there anything you would like to plug? Where can we find more information on your project? So the website again is in morehousewrestling.com. So that's where you can find all the entries, video of the matches where I can find it out in public, the links to the matches that are behind subscription walls. It's all right there. You've got each entry individually. You've got another page on the site with a list of the entries as they come up. As they get posted, you can find them all in one place. And then Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the site all have the imhwrestling.com handle. So whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whichever one is your flavor, imhwrestling is the handle. You can follow what's going on there. There's also a little bit of, there's a smidge of wrestling news mixed in there. Sometimes I'll start watching a show and just give some thoughts kind of live on Twitter. I like to think it's a cool place, a good place to go. If you're a wrestling fan, if you're want something a little different or just maybe want to discuss and think about wrestling a little differently, I think it's a good place to check out. It definitely is. It's one of the places I like to be. And I like to be here with you, John, and with the listeners here at the Military Industrial Suplex. But I have to take off my dress shoes and put on my whatever shoes Mr. Rogers used to wear before he left his house for his lunch break. John, thank you very much for joining. To the listeners, thank you very much for listening. We shall see you next month. John, do you have any preview as to what the listeners can expect? You can expect uh, Lucha Libre from CMLL. You can expect at least one match with 
Oscar before she was Oscar. That's very, very good. Of course, it's February. So there's some Elimination Chamber action in there as well. Some more material from the Southern independent wrestling scene. Whoa, 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 whoa John. Save it, my man. We want to see okay. some surprises. We don't want to give away everything. So tune in next episode for yes. the Military Industrial Super Excited.